0: I just want to say like Clay says, Happy Father's Day. Jonah came up to me yesterday and he gave me a card and he said, Happy Father's Day. So I just want to say to all the dads here this morning, Happy, Happy Father's Day. I was noticing the gift that Tim House had won. Did you see the honey buns in there? You know the man that come up with the idea of honey buns was anointed by God. I mean, when you eat a honey bun, I'm telling you, it's almost like you're getting a piece of the glory of God inside of you. Amen. I mean, I, I, I love them. I mean, they're, 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 they're great, but uh, either way we do, we wish you happy Father's Day. We know we're out in the middle of the summer, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on, vacations and, and all of that stuff, but today we're going to uh, uh, conclude our series on daring faith. and. You know, I, I've heard from several people, and we've had a, a really good response. Uh, again, Clay, he was sharing about that. We, we had about uh, $300,000 pledged uh, for the next three years. And, you know, we don't know the exact total just yet because there's been several people that have contacted me and said, I didn't get to put my pledge in. And so uh, we will kind of keep you updated uh, along the way. And, and again, you know, we, we, we have these goals. And if, if you could put that slide up, Rich, if it's still on there, if it's not, it's okay. We, we want you to understand why we're doing this campaign. You know, really everything we've done up to this point has just been preparation. It's not really the, 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 the actual action of, of walking it out and doing it. You know, we've been spending quite a bit of time, about two months of time, trying to help build your faith and to believe God for for greater things. And uh, we've talked about daring to believe and daring to dream and daring to commit and daring to be generous and daring to give God your best. And, you know, we, we, we've been talking about those things because I have no doubts in my mind that God is calling us to go to the next level and to, and to step up and begin to walk in the purpose and the plan that God's uh, uh, called us to do and, and called us to be. But, you know, we're, we're doing Daring Faith. Is that, is that slide? Is it on there? It's not. It's okay. It's actually on the back of your bulletin anyways. But on the back of that bulletin, you know, we, we talk about what this campaign is about. It is a three-year campaign of, of, of growing, sowing, and going. And it's not a, 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 a fundraiser. It's a faith raiser. And we want you to, to know that, you know what, if, I believe that if we begin to step into those things that God's called us to do, it will build our faith. You know, we will see God do miracles. We will see things happen. But you can also experience, you know, adversity from the enemy. You can expect the devil to try to discourage you. You know, you, know you, you make a sacrificial gift or you, or you pledge something and the next thing that happens, your vehicle breaks down. I had somebody, you know, Colin talked to me about that just recently as well. So you can expect those things. The Bible says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that come against you. And so you know we, we have to learn how to persevere, and all that stuff is part of, of building our faith and so today, as we, as we conclude, we are having again, like like Clay said, monthly services on Sunday night that are going to be focused and centered around this campaign. For the next three years, and we're going to bring in some of the best speakers that we know to speak and, and pour into us and to help energize our faith and, and encourage and inspire. We're going to do that once a month, and, and, and you know what? You're going to be blessed because of it. But we want to see our church grow. We want to reach people. We want to win 300 souls in the next three years. That's 100 people a year. And you know what? As long as heaven and hell is real, what we do on Sunday morning matters. Do you understand that? As long as that is the reality and the eternal destiny of mankind, we can't stop growing and we can't stop reaching out and we can't stop testifying and witnessing and traveling and going doing missions. We have to do that. Why? Because there's not a person that God created that He doesn't love. And there's not a person that God created that, that He doesn't want them to spend eternity with us. And you know, I, I made a statement, I sent out a tweet yesterday that said, Christ alone can save the world, but Christ cannot save the world alone. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the Bible says that that, that He would that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants every person to be saved. And not everybody's going to be saved, but we have to go and partner with God. When you think about that, it blows my mind and it scares me to death at the same time. We know that God is sovereign. But you know what, God? God has sovereignly chosen to use you and me to impact eternal decisions. Did you know that? That's why what you do and what you don't do really matters. You know, God was so committed to using you and using me that he became a man in order to redeem us. You know, God put, he created a garden. He put man in the garden. Man had failed; He had sinned and been separated from God. Jesus came to earth in, in, in God, the God-man God in human flesh. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised from the dead, and he gave that authority back. But in Luke chapter 4, I just want to throw this in here because I want you to be able to understand when we're talking about going in faith, you have a responsibility. It's a privilege and a responsibility. But when Satan was tempting Jesus uh, while he was in the wilderness and fasting 40 days, the Bible says that Satan said to Jesus, All the kingdoms and their glory I will give to you if you bow down and worship me for they have been given to me. Well, who gave Satan the kingdoms? Who gave Satan God's creation? Adam did. But God so fully and completely delegated authority to Adam that he had the ability to lose it. And so for in order to get that back, he had to come as a man, live, die, and be raised from the dead. And now he gives that authority back to us for the purpose of accomplishing His eternal purpose. Now, I know that's kind of heavy, but the point I want to make is this. Don't think that your life doesn't matter. Don't think that you can just go through life and just be a church attender and not negatively affect somebody's life. You know, statistics say that even the most introverted person will influence a minimum of 10,000 people In their lifetime. So it's not a matter of if you influence somebody, it's a matter of how you will influence them. So I want you to know God is going to use you. We want our church to double in size. We want to see our ministries fully staffed with volunteers. We want to see 75% of our people actively involved in a ministry. You know, we have a list of things that we wanted to do. You know, one of them was to, to raise a million dollars. And the reason we wanted to do that is because we want to pay off whatever we owe, and we want to fund all of our local and global missions. Let me just tell you this. This week, me and Clay, we went to Pfeiffer, Kentucky, and we heard uh, Matthew Barnett speak. And Matthew Barnett is the pastor of the Los Angeles Dream Center. They minister to 30,000 people a week. I, I, I've been able to, you know, take teams there. It took about four times we, we've went. And this church is really impacting Los Angeles for the glory of God. And afterwards, we, we went and ate, and we were talking to him. And he said, "Well, what you know? What's God you know put on your heart to do?" And so on and so forth. And, and I shared some of our daring faith goals. And I said, we're, "We're believing God to either uh, help us buy a, a building and, and convert it into a transition house." Or uh, have some kind of funding or or something that we just actually build it. You know what he said to me? He said, you need to contact Hobby Lobby. He said, they have a foundation that they provide grants just to fund and build buildings just like that. He said, drop my name in there. Tell them that I was the one that referred you. And so I want you to know something. We're going to apply for that. I'm not saying we're going to get it, but when we do get it, I'm going to say, I told you so. But this is what I know. When you make a commitment, because I am committed to what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, I am all in on this thing. And I'm telling you, when you make that commitment in your heart, God begins to orchestrate things in your life to provide resources and ideas and relationships to bring these things to pass. Because the truth is, we can't do what we're about to do. As a matter of fact, everything that I've done up to this point, I've never known how to do it before. So God wants you to jump off into the eat deep end, stop playing in the kiddie pool, stop just getting your feet wet, and go after him because he's got some incredible things in our life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, daring to go in faith. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter number 14. I am about to read your job description. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm not a full-time pastor. I'm not on full-time staff. Here's the truth. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a full-time staff or a full-time pastor. you got full-time responsibility. Everybody here is called to be wholly committed, full-time serving God. And I'm about to read the job description God has given every single one of us. If you're here and you're a Christian... This is what God wants you to do for the rest of your life, okay? You need to get prepared for it. Luke chapter 14, verse number 16. This is Jesus speaking. Then he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But all with one accord began to make excuses. Ain't that like a bunch of church people? They probably don't go here, but you know, they probably go somewhere else. But, but they all begin with one accord to make excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. Well, I, I think it's going to be there after you get done. If it's not, then, you know, we're going to be out of here. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yokes of oxen and I need to go test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife. Mm, mm, mm. I could preach that, but I ain't doing to. I have married a wife, and therefore I can't come. She must not let him. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to him, Go out quickly. Somebody shout, quickly. Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city And bring in here the poor, the main, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and there is still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Verse 24, For I say to you, that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper." What people is he talking about? Those who ask to be excused. Here's my question What kind of excuse are you making for not doing what God's called you to do? Let's pray, Father. I ask you to come and transform our hearts. May our heart be your heart. May our mind be your mind. May our hands be your hands, our feet your feet, our lives yours. You've called us to be a going church, a reaching church, a sending church, a compelling church, a great commission church, a church that is reaching out. And God, we are not that yet. But well, God, speak to us today through this, through this story that we've read. Awaken us to the reality of the assignment you've given us. May we stop making excuses and go as you've commanded in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's two words that summarize what Jesus has come to tell us. The first word is come, and the next word is go. Say that with me. Come. Say it again. Come. Go, come, go, come, go. Jesus says, come. He says, to those that are lost, to those that are hurting, to those that are broken, to those that are lonely, he says, you come. To those that are saved, to those that are born again, to those who have had their sins forgiven, to those who have had their lives transformed, to you, he says, go, He says two words. It summarizes what we're supposed to be about. If we are lost, he's saying to you, come. If we are saved, he's saying to you, you need to go. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 9 or chapter 2 verse 9, he says that God is not slack concerning his promise, but he's long suffering. He says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come. To repentance, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, he, he says this. He said, this is a good and acceptable saying in the eyes of our Lord and Savior that Christ came to save sinners, which I am chief. And he says, and I would that all men would come and would be brought to a place of repentance. But now when we look at the word come, we have to understand there's two separate categories. There's those that are lost. Those that are broken, those that are hurting, those that are lonely. Jesus listed the lame, the poor, the broken, the blind. He listed those people. He said, I I want you to invite them to come. This is the responsibility. Then on the other side, he's saying to his servants, he says, you need to go. You need to invite. You need to compel. I want you to go out and I want you to ask everybody. I want you to go quickly. And so we see in the Bible that God is in the business of telling his people to go. You know, God told Abraham to leave his family, leave his native land, and go to a country or a place that he didn't know of that he would show him when he gets there. God told Moses to go, go to Egypt. And he said, go tell Pharaoh, let my people Go And and so he says to Jonah He says, Jonah, I want you to go Down to Nineveh And cry out against that city So we see here All through scriptures In the Old Testament He's telling his people to go In the New Testament He says in Mark chapter 16 Verse 15 He says, go into all the world And preach the gospel to every creature He says in Matthew chapter 28 Verse 19 Go, make disciples of all nations I want you to know That that word go has sent me around the world multiple times. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because there's something different about me. There's nothing different about me. I'm the same as you. I just heard the call to go and I responded. And some of you, God's calling you to go. Maybe it's across the road. Maybe it's, you know, down to the where you work at. Maybe it's it's somewhere at Walmart. But God's saying, I want you to go. I have an assignment for you, and you need to. To go. Now, I want to give you three things that we need to focus up about in our going. If you're going to be a go, how many that heard it said, you know, that person's a go-getter? You know, God wants you to be a go-getter for him. Are you a go-getter? You know, some people, they get saved by grace and paralyzed by it at the same time. Saved and crippled. Saved. And satisfied, their favorite song is, I Shall Not Be Moved. You know, and they sit on the seat to do nothing. They think, you know what, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But God wants you to be a go-getter. And I'm going to give you three goals that we're going to focus on for the next three years during our campaign. Number one, we are going to go to God. We're going to go to God. I want to say this up front. As the pastor... I know that what we have presented before you is absolutely impossible for us to achieve. I mean, have you really looked at those goals and considered what it's going to take for that to happen? I believe that's going to happen. But we're by no means trying to do this in our own strength. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to God. You know, David wrote in Psalms 121, he says, I look to the hills for whence come my help. My help comes from the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16, 11 says, Go to the Lord for help and worship Him continually. Psalms 34, you know what it says? It says those that go to God for help will have everything that they need. You know, there's a story in the Bible in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 of, of the, by a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. And there was an army surrounding him, okay? He had a little small group of people, and his enemies were, there were multiple armies wanting to come to destroy him. And he had reached a place where he realized that if God doesn't show up in this situation, we're going to die. We are not going to make it. And he began to pray. Here was his prayer. He said, Lord, I know we have no might or no power against this vast army, but our eyes are upon you. I mean, that's what we're going to do when we present these things to God about daring faith. We're going to say, God... I have no idea how this is going to happen. I have no idea how we're going to raise a million dollars. I have no idea how we're going to buy or build a transition house. I have no idea how we're going to do this stuff. I have no idea. I'm not faking it. Listen, I talk to other pastors and preachers about this, and I tell them, I said, listen, I go before my people, and I say, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. They laugh. I said, I'm serious. I mean... You know, Clay will soon have a master's and a doctorate and all that stuff, and you can refer to him to doctor and reverend and, and bishop and all that stuff. He's going to have the credentials, and he's packing too. I'm just Donald, okay? I'm just, I'm just Donald. But now what I'm saying is we're going to go to the Lord for help. This is why we're having these 24-hour all-night prayer meetings. Why are we having them? Not because that we enjoy staying up all night to do that. Not because we enjoy, you know, praying excessive amount of hours or, you know, we do that. You know why? Because we're coming before God and we're saying, look, if we want something we've never had, we've got to do something we've never done. And so we're going to have 24-hour, all-night prayer every single month throughout this whole entire campaign. Why? Because we're going to God. We know that if God doesn't do this, look around at the seats. There's a lot of empty seats. Do you think it's God's will for those seats to be empty? Absolutely not. We just read a story. It says, come that my house might be we got work that we've got to do. You know, I know I try to come up here. I try to motivate you. I try to inspire you. I give you the prayer free, three. I give you an oikos group. We have special services. We try to teach you. We give you next steps. I mean, we do everything we know how to do that we believe God has called us to do, and yet we're still right here. I've come to the place where I have to realize that I'm not the owner or the boss of this church. I am the under-shepherd. Jesus is the over-shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And David wrote this in Psalms 127. He said, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I can't tell you, I, I would like to know how much of my time have I spent trying to do what God has called me to do and what God has called this church to do in my own strength. I wonder how many Hours, days, because you know what? I, I, I try to come every single day. I was sitting here yesterday, and throughout this week, I've been studying. I think I'm thinking I probably put between, I don't know, 12 plus hours in preparing this message, and there's three points. I left, and I thought, man, all this studying for three points? That's all we're, you know, that's it. And, and then it just kind of dawned on me. This could be the greatest message you've ever heard, but it's not going to change you unless you pursue God. It's just not going to happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to God. Now, we're not trying to do this in our own strength. We know that we can't do it. We need God. We are desperate. That's what, you know, Shauna was singing. you know, we, we love you. We want you, we need you, we long for you. That is the cry of my heart. We need God. We desperately need him. But here's what happens. When you are really desperate for God, it positions you and puts us in a place where God can release all of his power in our lives. Listen, God doesn't need your ability. He just needs your availability. You know, God chose you. He chose us to be a part of a work that will make eternal differences. And here's the thing. He didn't choose you for what you have to offer Him. He chose you for what He has to offer you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But it still takes God to do God's work. And so I'm believing God that over the next three years, that God's going to begin to stir your hearts, that God is going to begin to minister to you, that you're going to be in prayer, and God's going to touch you, and he's going to say something to you, and he's going to open up your eyes, and you're going to see something, and then you're going to respond to what he's called you to do. And as you go to God, God's going to begin to work on your half, and he's going to use you to help reach these daring faith goals. But when we go to God with an attitude of dependency, it positions us for the release of all of God's power in our life. See, here's the truth. God cannot even begin to work in your life until you come to the end of yourself. God can't even begin to work. So here's the question. Are you really at the end of yourself yet? If not, you have to work to get there. See, brokenness is an incredibly important. If God's going to use your life. You know why? Because if we are not broken, we will fight and resist the very thing that God says, I want you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever felt that way? Are there areas in your life right now, I would say, if you are at least remotely seeking God, He's probably putting his finger and showing one, two, or three areas of your life that he wants you to deal with and respond to. But because you're not broken, you try to block it out. You try to shove it down. You try to just ride it off as if it wasn't God. And so until we're broken and we really go to God and say, God, I know you're dealing with me, and, and, and I don't know why I'm not responding, or I'm afraid, God, or I, I don't feel qualified, God, or, or I, don't, you know, I don't think that, that, that you can use me this way, until that part of you is broken, you're never going to experience God in a new way. So, don't allow your comfort zone to keep you from going after God. Because I'm going to tell you something. It's going to require you to help fulfill what we're trying to do. And I'm not going to let you off easy. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to ask you some questions. Where are you at? Where have you been? What's going on? How can I help you? Who are you inviting? We got to become better at those things. Why? Because we got a job description here. So, the first place we're going to go, we're going to go to God. Here's the second thing, number two. We're going to go to God and then we're going to go together. Now, right here's the hardest part. Right here is the hardest part. Listen, it is hard to get people to come together around a vision that God has given us. Why? Because We want to do our own thing, right? We want to do our own thing. And there's nothing that the devil fears more than when God's people come together in unity. Now, why is unity important? Unity is important because when we come together, it aligns and unifies us to fulfill God's purpose. The Bible said in Matthew 16, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, who's doing the building? Who is? Jesus is doing the building. Now, what is he building his church upon? Upon the rock of who he is. And guess what the Bible calls you and I? The Bible says that you are living stones building up a spiritual house. So God has got an architectural design of what he wants this church to look like. And you are a living stone that he uses for the material to build upon what he has called us to do. You understand what I'm saying? But the problem is, again, if we're not broken, we don't want to build God's kingdom. We want to build our kingdom. That's why we like to do our own thing. That's why we don't like to be consistent. That's why we don't like to be committed. We want to be saved, but we also want to have the freedom and the liberty to do whatever we want to do. But the truth is, if you belong to God, you don't belong to yourself anymore. And so when you give yourself to God, your opinion is irrelevant. Listen, I've I've only been a part of two churches my whole life. When I got saved, the one I joined, and now the one I'm pastored. And I can promise you over the course of 19 years, I've wanted to leave a time or two million. But guess what? He is the Lord. Listen, I'm going to be honest for you. This is all in the past. But we had some issues a few years ago. Some of you are aware of it and some of you aren't. But I want you to know where we've been through. And there was a group of leaders that were really unhappy with what I was doing. And I was trying to do my best, but things were happening. And, you know, I, I didn't really know what was going on. I actually had a medical condition at the time. And so I didn't really know that they were having this meeting. And then I found out that they were having this meeting. And I went to them and I said, well, why didn't you tell me this first of all? I said, I tell you what, this is God my witness. I said, you know what? Go ahead, and if you guys decide that I'm not competent enough to lead this church, you be doing me a favor. I'll walk right on out like George Jefferson, moving on up. I tried to leave. I asked, vote me out, get me out of here. And you know what? When God wants you somewhere, you're gonna stay there, regardless of what comes against you. So, and there's no better place than being in the center of God's will, even if things are not working out. So, God's building this. He's growing this. He's he's trying to stir our hearts. And so, we're going to go to God. We're going to go together. Now, here's the big point I want to make. He's building his church. And the reason unity and coming together is so important is that God supernaturally empowers his church to fulfill its purpose. He will do this, but God will only release supernatural power. Now, hear me on this to the the degree that we come together in unity. Okay? In other words, the more we focus on the vision He's given us, the more power He will release for us to accomplish His purpose. You understand what I'm saying? This is important. Because I do believe this. Listen, I believe once we make that commitment, we come together, you're going to see resources come in. You know, as a matter of fact, with the A to Z Learning Center, listen, God wants this learning center here. Do you know since we started this learning center, and, and, and Tanya is the, is, is the director over, over all of, you know, we've had about $200,000 of grant money come in. We didn't even ask for it. People come up to us and say, you need this. We sure do. But but all of that was out I and mean, we basically have, you know, uh supplied all the stuff in the learning center. Brand new stuff. We didn't ask for that, but God wants the learning center to be here. Therefore, he will resource it and fund it in supernatural ways. What I'm saying is when we just come together and agree that, hey, this is what God wants us to do as a church, God will provide the people, the resources, the buildings, whatever it may be. And I promise you, when we commit, you're going to stand back and say, wow, this is amazing. And this is what's kind of stuff that's happened but when we come together, God releases. Now, every miracle has a God part and a man part, okay? Our parts to come before God and offer ourselves to him. Say, here I am, Lord, use me. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable. It's the reasonable thing to do. Living sacrifice, say, here I am, God. This is reasonable, This is your reasonable act of service. Listen, save people, serve people. Save people, serve people. It's important that you you know that. But the problem with the living sacrifice is it tends to crawl back off the altar. So every day, guess what you have to do, whether you feel like it or you don't? You crawl back up on that altar and you say, help. That's been kind of my favorite prayer over the years. Help. He seems to respond to, to help a lot. But this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to offer ourselves to God and say, God, I, I believe in this vision you've given us. I believe you want to use us to, to reach people that are struggling with, with, with addictions, that are trying to recover. God, I, want, I know you want to use us to reach out to people that, that are poor and needy and blind and lame. I know you want me to use us to do that, but it only happens when we come together. Now, let me just show you scripturally right quick what happens when we come together. Now, what, was the, what, what, what does the Scripture say about... The early church coming together. This is amazing. All they ever did was come together. As a matter of fact, at this point in time, they did not have a building they could meet in. You know, it, they didn't have a building. They came together, and all through the book of Acts, this is what you see uh, what's going on. The Bible says they came together. They believed together. They gathered together. They assembled together. They went up together. They prayed together. And what was the result of their unity? What was the impact when they all came together and followed the vision God had for them? Look what happened. This is amazing. See, it's Acts 2. It's still early in the book. What happened? Three thousand, the Bible says were saved. Acts two hundred forty seven, the Lord added daily to the church. Acts four four. Many of them who heard the word believed and the number of them came about. 5,000. Acts 5.14, the believers were increasingly added to the Lord and a multitude of men and women. Acts 6.7, the word of God spread. Acts 11.24, and a great many people were added to the church. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. That is directly connected to the unity that these brothers and sisters are walking in or we're walking in. And what God has done for them, God will do for us, but not until we come together, assemble together, gather together, pray together, serve together, reach out together. When we come together, God does supernatural things. But you know what? What? He doesn't do it through one or two people. You know what? Two people in unity can accomplish more than 2,000 people doing their own thing. And for far too long, at least in the church in America, it's hard to understand a kingdom mentality with a democratic mindset. In a democracy, your thoughts and opinions matter to the people that are above you in leadership. When you're in the kingdom, guess what? There's two positions, king and servant. And there was one man that tried to root him out of that position as king. It didn't turn out too well for him. So which one are you trying to be, king or servant? How do you know? Well, a king does his own thing. Servant does what he's told. That was a great point right there. You know the old saying, got too many chiefs, not enough. Who's the chief of your life? You know, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I tell you? I'm hoping this is encouraging and ministering to you. We're going to get out of here quickly. I'm just about done. So, to accomplish what God's called us to do, we have to learn how to work together. Here's the last thing, and I'm done. We're going to go to God. We're going to go together. We're going to go and tell. Let's say that big and loud, not weak and wimpy, big and loud. Say, go to God, God. Go, together, go together, and go and tell. Go tell. I, I studied like 12, 14 hours to give you that. My whole Saturday was gone for three points that you ain't going to remember by Monday. You know, what in the world did he preach about? I'm going to call you. (laughs) You better keep them notes with you. We're going to go into it. Now listen to this story. Luke 14, 16 through 20. A very powerful, I'm reading a different translation, a very powerful and generous man prepared a great banquet and invited many prominent guests. When it was ready, he sent his servants out to go and What? Tell those and invite to come, for everything is now ready. But they all begin to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have acquired five pair of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I got married, so I can't come. And when the servant reported this, the owner of the estate became angry and told the servant, What? Go quickly. The owner of this estate, he said, go quickly. Where? To the streets, the alleys of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and let them be my guests. The servant said, master, we've already done all of this, but there's still room more in your banquet. The master said, then now go out of our city to the roads and country lanes. Go everywhere. Invite everyone to come so that my house will be full. And I promise you this, not one of those who ignored my invitation will ever taste what I have prepared for them. (sighs) I wonder how much you're missing out in your life that God has prepared for you because you refuse to go. You refuse to step out. You refuse to take a risk. You refuse to open yourself up to anything different than what you've already experienced. Man, that would be hell to me. I'd quit today if I believed that everything, I've already experienced everything God has for me. I quit today. But the Bible says, eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And come to music. Music. Now, here's, your, here's the question I want to ask you. Can you go to that next slide? Do you consider yourself a servant? If you are born again, if your sins have been forgiven, if Jesus has transformed your life, if you are his servant, then this is your job description. What are you supposed to do? This is as plain, as simple, and as easy as it can possibly be. What's the job description? To go and tell, to go quickly. To go outside, to go everywhere, to invite everyone to come. What are you supposed to do? Go and tell. Go quickly. Go outside. Go everywhere. Invite everyone to come. What's your job description? To go and tell. Go quickly. Go outside. Go everywhere. Invite everyone to come. This is your job description for the rest of your life is it go and tell go quickly go outside go everywhere invite everyone guess what will happen people will come and they will taste and see that the lord is good oh my god go and tell go quickly Go outside, go everywhere, invite everyone. This is what he's telling us to do. And as you read the story, you guess what would happen? You can experience and expect to have some negative reactions. The first thing that you can can bank on is that you're going to get rejected. People's going to say, no, that's not for me. The next thing's gonna happen is there's gonna be some that's going to just make excuses. I would, but Sunday is my, you know. And then there's some that's gonna simply lie to you. I'm gonna tell them yes and not even show up. And what Jesus is teaching us is this you're not responsible for the outcome. You are responsible to go and tell. To go quickly. To go outside. To go everywhere. To invite everyone. And if our church would simply do that on a daily basis, we'd have to have ten services. Why? Because there are people that need to hear the good news. They're out there. They're broken. They're lonely. They're hopeless. They're discouraged. Listen to the statistic. 96% of people who do not attend church say that they would be happy to attend if someone invited them. Yet, only 2% of churchgoers say they are inviting others consistently two percent of born-again believers only two percent actually share their faith I wonder throughout the week if we put your life up on the screen I wonder how many times that we could count That you talked about Jesus. Because if you are saved. You can remember when Jesus was the only thing that mattered. When Jesus was the only thing in your heart. When Jesus was the only thing that was uttered out of your lips. Remember when you were so grateful. Remember when you were so thankful. That he didn't leave you where you were at. Do you remember When you hit rock bottom and he showed up in your life and rescued you from the pit. Remember when he pulled you out. Remember when he seen you through? Remember when he showed up when you had to have him to show up and he did what he said he would do. Remember that. Grateful people go and tell. Grateful people go quickly. Grateful people go outside. They go everywhere. They invite everyone. And that's what we're supposed to do. I close with this. There'll be a lot of different things. Because I think about heaven a lot. The older I get, the more of the people that I love they pass away and I do their funerals and I think about and the older I get and the more that kind of happens to me you know the more real heaven becomes I live my life from a perspective that if uh, somebody was a believer and they died that we will be reunited again with them But there's a lot of things that we will be able to do when we get to heaven. You know what? We will experience worship that is literally out of this world. We will experience the joy of fellowship, of being together and reunited with those that we love. But there's one thing that we will never, ever, ever be able to do when we get to heaven. And guess what that is? Share your faith with somebody that's lost. You cannot testify any longer. You, you can't witness to a lost person any longer. You can't share your remember those times God prodded you to go and say something to that person, but you resisted. And now you're in heaven, and guess what? You're thinking about that. You say, man, I wish I would have done that. But we're so afraid of what people think of us. Let me set you free. What people say about you is none of your business. It went right over your head. What people think about you is none of your business. People's opinions are fickle. You know, they said, you know what? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. They'll sing. People turned around and said, crucify People will change their opinion about you. But you know what? You're not living your life to please others. You're living your life to please the one. And so you know what? You'll never be able to witness to a lost person again. Because in heaven, the eternal destiny of every person is sealed forever. And you've allowed fear and you've allowed what other people think about you to keep you from doing what God's called you to do. What's he called you to do? Go and what? Go quickly. Go outside. Go everywhere. Invite everyone. That's it. On July the 31st, 1992, a plane carrying 114 people crashed in the Himalayan mountains. All 114 people on board died and there were no bodies recovered. 7 of those people on board the plane were Joe and Tana Collins and their 5 children. They were missionaries to Nepal. The only thing of the Collinses that was recovered was Tana's Bible and in her Bible these words were written. It's true. How much shall I give? If I refuse to give anything to missions this year, I'm casting my vote to shut down all the missions work and to bring all the missionaries back. If I give less than what I did before, I'm in favor of reducing the missions work to the proportion of my giving. If I give the same as I did before, I cast my vote to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. But if I increase my giving, then I am in favor of advancing to the conquest of new territories for the glory of God. That was in her Bible. So our only response to what you hear today is pray, Give, go. Pray, give, go. Pray, give, go. Simple, simple message. Now, self uh, examination time. Go ahead and stand with me. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. God, I pray you give us Judgment Day honesty this morning. God, give us Judgment Day honesty. Help us to see into the realm of the eternal and just consider what the work of our life has done for you and for your kingdom. And the question that I'm going to ask you this morning is this. What is the giving of your time, the giving of your talent, and the giving of your treasure say about how you feel concerning God's work. Add it up right now. What does your giving say about you concerning God's work? What does the investment of your time, your, your ability to volunteer to help, what does it say about how much you value what God's called you to do? Your talent. What gift has God given you that you? Just hold inside and you never share. So this morning, God is either saying two things. If you're lost, if you're lonely, if you're broken, if you're hurting, I can say with 100% assurance, Jesus is saying, come, come. Come to me. Cast all your cares upon me. For I care for you. My hand is not shortened that I cannot reach down and save. My ear is not deaf that I cannot hear the cry of your heart. He's saying to you, come. Let me ask you right now. If you feel the call, the pulling, the tugging from God to come, just shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. That's me. God's telling me to come. He's telling me to come. Let me ask you this. If you're Christian, if you're born again, if your life has been transformed, I can guarantee He's saying to you, go. Go. Where's He saying for you to go? He's saying to go and tell. Who do you need to be telling? Who have you been resisting keeping this eternal gift from those that don't know Him? Go quickly. Go outside. Go invite everyone. So if He's telling you to come or if He's telling you to go, it's time to to respond during this altar call I want to encourage every single person here, you don't have to come to this altar, but I want to encourage you to ask God to break you to the point that you will stop resisting we need you God needs nothing but he chooses you